0: Hello, my name is John Maidendorp. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Christian Reformed Church, and it is my privilege to lead you in the service of the word today. Due to the threat of the COVID-19 pandemic, we have suspended our regular worship services and ministries until April. But this strange reality offers us an important reminder that the church is not a building. It is the body of Christ on earth. Just because we do not gather for worship together in one building does not mean that we cease to be the church. Rather, we are given an opportunity to be salt and light in the world in different and unique ways, by worshiping together as households, by reaching out to our neighbors in love and care, by connecting with our sisters and brothers in Christ through technology, and by supporting our local relief agencies as they tend to the most vulnerable in our midst. Following the advice of health experts and the recommendations of the government, we urge all members to practice proper hygiene and safe social distancing to prevent the spread of this disease. And we welcome all believers to join us in prayer that the spread of this disease may quickly be stopped so that we may enjoy the privilege of each other's company once again. People of God, on this fifth Sunday of Lent, our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 1 through 45. And as we prepare to hear God's word, let's come before Him in a prayer for the Spirit's illumination. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for these stories these songs, these letters, these parables, these words of wisdom that teach us to know you as our God and help us see ourselves as your children who you have called. Lord, we pray that as we read and hear your word preached this this day, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds and open our hearts to all that it is that you would have us see and hear and know and believe. Transform us more and more, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The Gospel of John, chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from the village of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across its entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, our scripture passage for today in which Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead presents us with an amazing story of our Lord's power over death. But it also offers us a glimpse into the tender heart of our Savior. In this passage, we have the shortest and most straightforward verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. The text tells us several times that Jesus was deeply moved, that he was troubled in spirit, and emphasizes throughout the importance of Lazarus' friendship in Jesus' life. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved his sisters. And even though Jesus has power to defeat the forces of evil, to conquer sin and death, when he is confronted with the costly human reality of it, he is moved to tears. Even though Jesus knows the truth of his words, this sickness will not end in death. When he is faced with the very real pain of loss, he is cast down in grief. This past week, I read a powerfully insightful and helpful article titled, The Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief by Scott Baranato, senior editor of the Harvard Business Review. Baranato writes about how his staff met over video, as many are doing in this season. And they started off their staff meeting by going around and having everyone share how they were feeling about everything that's going on. When one colleague mentioned that she was feeling grief, heads in every pane of the screen nodded in agreement. Baranato hopes that if we name what we are feeling in this season as grief, perhaps we can find ways to manage it. In the article, Bernato goes on to interview David Kessler. Kessler, together with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, co-wrote the famous book On Grief and Grieving, which introduced to the world the five stages of grief. While the interview focuses on managing grief in the context of ongoing business, dealing with topics like working from home, worrying about job security, missing, missing the company of coworkers, things like that, I think there's much that we as the church can learn from these scholars about managing grief. Because we are also grieving. Just as Christ grieved the toll of the fall on the life of his friend Lazarus, we grieve the toll that the fall takes on our lives as we journey through this life. This is always true. But now in our current situation, when it is not even safe for us to worship together or gather in small groups, the cost, the cost of the fall on this world feels particularly high. Together with many people in society, we grieve the disruption that this has on our regular rhythms of life. Many of us are adapting to working from home. Others are adapting to living without employment. Like many in our world, we are grieving the loss of company, of friends, of co-workers, of family, and of the fellowship of believers. Together with the whole world, we grieve the harm and the loss of life that this disease causes. And we worry in a special way, for those who are near and dear to us, for those whom we love. We grieve for those in our lives who do not know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And in this time of uncertainty, we feel that pain cut deeper and harder than it ever has before. And as a fellowship of believers, we share the special grief of the loss of corporate worship. As we look ahead to the very likely possibility that we will not be together in person for Good Friday, for Easter Sunday, for these services that are so special to us all, we are filled with a particular kind of grief. Not knowing when we will be able to gather again, the uncertainty of it all is a grief in and of itself. And it's easy for us to start to imagine worst case scenarios. The prospect of a sad and terrible future of loss and uncertainty as it fills us with despair. Following the five stages of grief, we deny The reality, especially early on. This isn't a big deal. This won't affect us. We can continue life as normal. We get angry. You're taking away my hobbies, my friends, my family, my church. We bargain. Maybe we can take a break from social distancing just for one Sunday, right? We fall into sadness, depression. This will never end. My parents, my friends will die. Church will never be the same. Life will never be the same. And finally, eventually, we learn acceptance. This is happening. This is our reality. Let's learn to move forward together. And acceptance, of course, is where we find the power to grapple with our grief in positive and constructive ways. In accepting the reality of our grief, we're able to begin to differentiate between what is under our control and what is not. We don't control when this pandemic will end. We don't control when large gatherings will be allowed again. We don't control when we will be able to gather together for worship again. We don't control who gets the disease and who does not. We don't control who suffers and who recovers. Those things we leave to our faithful God. But there is much that we can control. We can practice good hygiene. We can protect the vulnerable among us by social distancing, by staying at home. We can follow the advice of health professionals and government officials. We can learn to work from home. We can be intentional about taking this opportunity to rethink our priorities when it comes to life and faith. We can spend quality time with those who live in our home. We can call and text and email our sisters and brothers in Christ, our family, our friends. We can develop new rhythms of personal and family devotions. We can read books and articles that are edifying and encouraging. We can be an uplifting presence on social media and not spread disinformation. We can gather together on Sunday mornings for worship. In our homes, and we can learn to appreciate it. There is power in acceptance, power to manage grief. As followers of Jesus Christ, of course, we have a powerful tool when we grapple with grief that these scholars do not name. We have the power of hope. As the apostle writes to the Thessalonians, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Like Jesus going to the tomb of Lazarus, we know how this story will end. This sickness will not end in death. As followers of the Lord of life, we face grief with hope, knowing that our God is preparing for us an inheritance that cannot be taken away. The German theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, reshaped Christian conversations about hope in his 1967 book, Theology of Hope. In the introduction to this book, Moltmann writes about how the whole gospel is centered around the tension between God's promises and their fulfillment. And how we as Christians live in that unique in-between place. God has made promises to us. Those promises have been sealed in the death and resurrection of Christ. And we are assured of them in our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit, even as we eagerly await their fulfillment in the future when Christ comes again. We live between the already and the not yet. We live in the tension between the victory of Christ over sin and death at the cross And the ultimate defeat of evil when he comes again. And we are sustained in this journey between promise and fulfillment by hope. By embracing hope. Moltmann writes that there are two primary sins against hope. That Christians can fall into in our life of faith. On the one hand, we can fall into despair, doubting that the promises of God will ever be fulfilled. The relentless and overwhelming cost of the fall of evil and wickedness in this world can cause us to doubt God's power, to doubt God's goodness, God's faithfulness. We begin to doubt that God will keep his promises. We begin to believe that the powers of this world really are equal to the power of our Lord over sin and death. And we despair that the great redeemer will ever truly be able to remove the stain of wickedness from this earth. But there is another sin against hope. Moltmann writes, which is just as pernicious and just as harmful to our lives of faith. And that is the sin of presumption denying the reality of sin in this world as though the promises of God have already been accomplished. When we fall into presumption, we fail to recognize or be honest about the heavy toll that evil takes in our lives. We pretend that everything is fine when it is most definitely not. We forget how to lament how to cry out to God in the midst of our pain. Presumption makes it difficult for us to pray with integrity and wholeheartedness. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Presumption denies that there is anything left for God to fix. That life is as good as it will ever be. And that there is no need for God to do any more work than he already has. Moltmann argues that as we journey through life in this world, as we journey from promise to fulfillment, that Christians need to be constantly vigilant and on guard against these two sins, against hope, protecting ourselves equally against both the temptation to despair and the siren song of presumption. True Christian hope does not lead to resignation or to apathy, but to courageous and imaginative action as we live as salt and light in a world of darkness and decay. In his new book, finding meaning, the sixth stage of grief. David Kessler argues in favor of adding a sixth stage to the five stages of grief. He argues that finding meaning in our suffering is a sixth stage beyond acceptance. That the true redemption, although he doesn't use that word, the true redemption of suffering and loss comes in the meaning that we are able to find in it. When we look back a hundred years ago at the church's response to the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918 and 1919, the last time that churches were closed down across North America, we see that while our forebears in the faith certainly mourned the grief and loss of the pandemic. They were able to find meaning in it. They came out of that trying time with a greater appreciation for corporate worship, no longer taking it for granted. They came out on the other side with a stronger loyalty and devotion to their local church. And they learned a greater appreciation for devotional and theological literature that helped to sustain and strengthen their faith, even when they were not able to listen to sermons or worship together as a congregation. But there's a real danger in skipping straight to finding the meaning in our suffering without recognizing the painful reality of the grief that we share. This is what makes visitations and funerals so difficult for people who have lost a loved one. While we who have lost are grappling with the injustice of death, the pain of loss, the wickedness of the power of evil in this world. Others come through our line and shake our hands and try to give us meaning in our suffering. While we rage against the unfathomable darkness of death. Others try to comfort us with trite cliches. His suffering is over. She's in a better place. He's singing with the angels now. Look how peaceful she is just lying there. He'll always live on in your memories. In our pain-averse culture, it is all too easy for us to skip the difficult journey and jump straight to fulfillment, straight to meaning. It is easy for us to fall into the sin of presumption, which denies the pain and cost of evil and death denies the journey of grief. And as a result, denies the need for hope. We jump from promise to fulfillment and we skip over the difficult, emotional and painful journey between the two. I like to think of this story of Jesus raising Lazarus as a story of the journey from promise to fulfillment at the beginning of the story. Jesus makes this amazing claim when Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is sick. He says to his disciples this sickness will not end in death. And I don't think that this is a prophecy as much as it is a promise although the disciples probably thought of it as a prophecy. And when Jesus announced two days later that Lazarus had died, they were probably wondering whether Jesus was losing his prophetic touch. What do you do with a prophet who says this sickness will not end in death? And then two days later, the person dies. But Jesus, the Lord of promise, is true to his word. He knows that the creator has the power to bring order in the chaos of this world. Power to bring everything out of nothing. Power to bring life out of death. But even knowing the power of God to redeem, to resurrect, to make new. Jesus does not skip over The journey from promise to fulfillment. Jesus journeys with his disciples from Galilee to Judea to Bethany. Jesus waits outside of town for a long time, preparing himself to face the reality of his friend's death. He speaks with Martha and Mary about their pain and their loss. He is deeply moved. He is troubled in spirit. Jesus weeps. He cries out to God, echoing the words of Psalm 130, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And only then, when he himself, has faced and wrestled with and accepted the painful reality of grief, of loss, of death, only then does he bring about the fulfillment of his promise. Our Lord does not deny our pain. Our Lord does not deny our humanity. Instead, he enters into our world. He enters into our flesh. He enters into our grief. He enters into our pain. He walks the journey with us. This sickness will not end in death. This seems to me a powerfully appropriate word of hope for the strange reality that we now find ourselves in. In the face of spreading disease, the great healer promises us this sickness will not end in death. In the face of isolation, of loneliness, of grief, our Lord promises us this sickness will not end in death. In the face of loss, as we mourn the loss of fellowship, of jobs, of societal comforts, Even the loss of health and life, our Lord promises us this sickness will not end in death. Even in the face of death itself, the darkest stain of the plague of sin in this world, our Lord assures us this sickness will not end in death. As we journey through this season of grief, this season of loss, we lift up our hearts with hope to the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. For he assures us that even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our sadness and anger and grief, he is with us, with us in our pain, with us in our suffering to comfort us, to strengthen us as we cry out to him together with this suffering world. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, restore your creation, make all things new. In the midst of our grief, our Lord assures us with the hope filled promise. This sickness will not end in death. This season will come to an end and we will be restored to one another and at long last to God himself in the glory of the new creation. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, as we listen to the promises of your word, we ask that you help us apply it to our lives and allow you to bring us from the darkness into the light. Show us hope in our despair so that we may recognize that you are the resurrection and the life. Amen.